If I was packing for a trip to the Antarctic, I would pack no more than one flamethrower. Well, I mean... Well, but if every guy brings one, <laughs> well, doesn't that then true. mean there are 12? And welcome back to another episode of Exposing Ourselves. I'm Travis Ritchie, and this is episode 31. This is the show where we expose each other to new things. Matt, a big music fan, will assign me one of his favorite albums or playlists to listen to each week, and I, a movie buff, will give him one of my favorite films, and we come together on this very podcast to discuss it all. And with me, as always, is my good friend... Matt Runquist. Hey, Travis. This week, I watched the movie John Carpenter's The Thing, and you listened to The Magnetic Fields. But, Travis, there's very important news. I brought a friend. Yes, you did. I see her yeah. right there. Yes, there she is. Well, along with being a friend of mine, Ariel Powers-Shaub is a senior contributor to Ghouls Magazine, as well as their administrative assistant. She's an experienced horror movie writer and podcaster. She has a regular gig over at the Pod and the Pendulum, along with way too many guest spots to mention. I'm excited to hear just how John Carpenter's The Thing relates to the Saw movies and the Blair Witch Project. Ari Hellraiser, welcome to Exposing Ourselves. Hi, guys. Thanks for having me. Hi. Welcome. I'm also excited to hear about how the thing relates to the Blair Witch Project and all those other things. Uh, but uh, I'm excited to we... figure out what I'm going to say about that. So we'll all you know put it together. It's, none of it's scripted, so uh, it's all it's all good. Um, I am, uh, first of all, I'm kind of uh, aghast. I, we can kind of skip over the what did we do last week thing uh, because we... Uh, we're recording this out of order, right? In order yeah. to get our special uh, horror aficionado guest uh, to talk about this amazing horror movie, we're recording this episode technically before episode 30. Yeah. So we're traveling to the future. We're traveling to the future. Or the past? Well, Either way, really. <laughs> we're doing like a tenant situation. It's all very confusing, and my brain has been hurting about it, and uh, and uh, we'll... we'll, we'll... I have that effect on people. We can just jump right into talking about this movie. There and, is so uh, much to say about it. Oh, my gosh. Well, let me give you a brief. Uh, if you haven't seen it, like Matthew hadn't until this week, The Thing or John Carpenter's The Thing, if you uh, if you are, I guess, accurate about it, is uh, a 1982 movie that was based on a short story that was written way back in the 30s uh, called uh, Who Goes There, I believe. And it's actually pretty accurate, even though a 1950s quote-unquote ad adaptation of the, of the story into a movie, uh, which was called Think From Another World, wasn't really super accurate. Um, but I, So this one, they kind of did it right. And uh, man, this movie, it, it wasn't super successful at the time. It was made on about a $15 million budget, uh, directed by John Carpenter, stars a really young Kurt Russell, and uh, David Keith uh, is in it, and um, or Keith David, I'm sorry, God. Uh, uh, <laughs> Richard Mazur is in it, and also uh, Wilford Brimley, uh, who, I, I don't know. That's Wilford just, Brimley with no mustache, that should be illegal. I know, it's a very weird thing to see young-ish Wilford Brimley. I mean, but I feel like he was never actually young. But uh, it's a... Um, it, it has become a cult classic in that uh, it just... It's, it's actually scary. The tension is palpable through the combination of, uh, of, of pace and uh, music and acting. 
It just, uh, and it uses amazing practical effects to bring this alien that is a shape-shifting alien uh, to life. And uh, the, the deal is we're down in the Arctic, we're at this research station, and this alien that can become other things, it can, it can change into any form that it, uh, that it absorbs. So if it digests a, a, a form, it could become that, like a dog or a person or, a, or you know, any alien in, in the universe. And, uh, and the, the concern of these people is that it's going to get loose and take over the whole planet. And so they kind of have to try to kill it and figure out who's an alien already. It's, it's, I love it. It's, uh, it's so good. It's one of my favorites. Um, Matt, what did you think? Yeah, I'm not going to bury the lead here. This is a really fantastic movie. Yeah. I mean, there, yeah, there's things I didn't love about it, but it, overall, I mean, I'll tell you the first thing I didn't love about it. Man, I need a Does the Dog Die warning on the movie like this. Holy uh, cow. What a know, start. What a I start know. to that movie. I'm sorry. Yeah, no, it's okay. Um, actually, the real start of the movie is weird because Predator lifts it almost frame by frame for, yes. uh, three or four years later. We watched Predator I thought about that and... as we were, and maybe I discussed that. Uh, I don't uh, know if I mentioned that. I don't that think you did at the time. I think Predator. you just didn't mm. like it. But uh, yeah, so anyways, uh, really uh, an odd beginning to the movie. There's these uh, this dog running across the tundra, and then there's this helicopter, and they're shooting at the dog. and the... Now... I, I'll read this a little bit here. The um, the dog is clearly just, like, running towards his trainer, right? He's just, like, trotting. And then all of a sudden there's guys taking pot shots at it. They're throwing grenades. There's all kinds of, like, confusion. Um, and But it, it does really establish it uh, super-duper well. I actually was stunned with the location. So we were talking last week about how Legend... Uh, the the location shooting or lack of la- location shooting really hurt it. This movie was shot mm-hmm. on location, I guess, in Canada, but it looked like Antarctica to me. It was fantastic. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, okay, so what else do I want to call out? These practical effects are unbelievable. There's... It's funny because I just assumed it was Stan Winston because I was like 80s horror movie with unbelievable yeah, practical kind of early for Stan Winston it's, actually. Yeah, it was not. It was not Stan Winston. It was a 22 year old guy who's Ariel. Do you know his name? Rob Batten. Yeah. Wow. And I guess he almost like put himself in a mental institution doing this movie. He did have uh, to be hospitalized for exhaustion when it was. Yeah. Done. Yeah. That is uh, uh, just absolutely unreal. Like the. Oh my God! When they shoot the dog, I, oh, I, I like I jumped. I was, mm-hmm. it was unreal. And then of course the when the dog's face explodes, when the guy's arms get torn off. Like there's so many great practical effects. It's hard to even like narrow it down to one or two that you think are the best ones. There's yeah, the, I mean, yeah. the head falling off and turning into a spider is. Oh God! You've got to be fucking a... kidding me. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> right. Yeah, yeah, it really is and, just unbelievable. Well, and one of the things is speaking of the dog. Basically, I was watching it this time and watching the dog's performance, and that dog is so creepy yeah. to see a dog be so still, and like they there are shots that are several seconds long, and it's just the dog sitting and looking, mm-hmm. and you just don't see a dog do that, and so when you see that on screen. It's you're like, oh, there's something. Even though you don't know what the deal is with this dog, you know right. it's something. 
And, right. Um, yeah. And you I know, think, I oh, go ahead. No, it just yeah. it also kind of works for when the, when the helicopter is following it, trying to shoot it, and the dog's kind of just loping out. You know, like you say, running to its trainer. It's just calm. It's not like it's not super worried or running for its life. It's just like I'm going. You know, I'm pretty <laughs> sure this is gonna work. And uh, yeah, you know, it's thinking. It's like I don't know. I I love that aspect of it too. So uh, Ariel and I have been texting a little bit this week. And Ariel, did you want to point out the incredibly <laughs> creepy news story that came up this week? Yeah, so, let me find it real quick. Yeah, oh my the, goodness. So this alien apparently landed on Earth. Uh, what is like a hundred thousand years ago or something, and has just been yep. waiting in the ice, much like this um, forty-six thousand-year-old worm discovered in the Siberian permafrost that science brought scientists brought back to life this week. And I say, no, thank you. Haven't we all yeah. seen the thing? Yeah, right? Yeah. Did you hear yeah. about this? And it's like, did it have the babies? Are we going to keep these worms alive now? This seems like a very bad idea. I don't know, man. We got aliens this week, too. Like, I can't even be too fussed about any of it. Yeah, yeah there's a whole so. lot of things like that where they find ancient bacteria that's like millions of years old, and they're like, "Oh, we're going to try to bring it back to life." You know, no, <laughs> you don't need to do that. We've all seen Jurassic uh, Park. Exactly, right? nothing yeah. good happens mm -hmm. from science. Uh, I think <laughs> it's the, the capitalism. <laughs> the capitalism that's the problem right and that's the lesson we learned from alien is that uh, aliens is that you know whenever the corporations get involved uh, and want to use something for uh, for as a weapon um, that never goes well either but uh, one of the things that I liked about this movie in addition uh, is that speaking of casting the dog but the rest of the cast is also good mm -hmm. because it's almost like predator in that you get this perfect casting where every person is different you don't have to spend a lot of time with characterization. Uh, you like Kurt Russell gets one scene where he's playing chess against a computer, and, and, and he blows up his just, computer. What man? You got, you're going to be you need to know. you're going to be in Antarctica for the next six months, and you just blew up your computer on like the in, you know three weeks in. Man, that's a bad bad idea. Well, it was cheating. So <laughs> yeah, Kurt Russell is very charming in this movie though. Wow. Like you get you get the full Kurt Russell experience. You do, and it's like you want him you want him to win and you know, uh, as as a as a movie fan, I am a fan of a happy ending, right? I love I, I hate nihilistic endings, you know, uh, mm -hmm. there's movies like The Road or um or, uh, or 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 Wolf Puncher. Uh, the what was the real name of that movie? Um, Wolf Puncher. The, yeah, it was a uh, Liam Neeson. Oh, uh, the, the Revenant. Oh. <laughs> no, no, it wasn't the Revenant. The Re it was, but you know, he's he's out in the tundra yes. fighting wolves. Yes, no. the Revenant was, was the bear one. The gray. The oh, gray. the gray. The gray. Oh, sorry. Which I, got I, my... I call Wolf Puncher because he's punching wolves. <laughs> um, but like, and I talk about the gray. I won't make you watch it. But uh, the, oh, the ending you. of the gray is that he, uh, he he has this final like battle with nature, right? Where where nature kills his friend uh, under you know uh, drowns him in a river, and he he Liam Neeson gets out of the river, and he's gonna give up. He's gonna just lay on the banks of the river and die. But something in him causes him to like. Uh, you know, curse God and like crawl up the crawl up the hill because he's not going to give up. And he and he crawls to the top of the hill and over the ridge and uh, realizes he's in the wolf den. 
of the wolves that have been trying to kill him all this time. <laughs> and so this wolf and him, like, you know, face off and both of them apparently die. And I hate that so much. And I would have been happier if, like in The Thing, you kind of have a, have a, I don't know what happens next ending. And uh, like if he if he'd crawled up to the top of the hill and and Liam Neeson found a road. There doesn't have to be anyone on the road. Just have him find the road. And that would have been happy for me. But in this one, uh, in the thing, they 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 defeat the 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 alien, they blow it up, and you think he's won, and then you have this ending with him and Keith David looking at each other and like both of them are wondering if the other might be an alien and they're yeah. probably both going to die or be frozen in the ice and but there's nothing yeah, to be done about it and i just like that itchy ending tra- so much there's, there's definitely some itchy trigger fingers there so <laughs> it's so creepy but ariel uh, so yeah. you are a horror movie expert you said this has some connections to uh, to other horror movies <laughs> <laughs> oh so- <laughs> Matt said that as a challenge to me uh, because (laughs) listeners who have heard me on other podcasts know that I'm well known for being a big fan of the Saw franchise and knowing it very well. And um, my favorite movie is The Blair Witch Project. So any chance I get, I basically will bring up those movies so now I'm like digging deep in my brain, trying to figure out a way to impress you guys with some facts <laughs> to connect these movies. Um, no, I mean, unlike Saw and the Blair Witch Project, which were both made on shoestring budgets, this was John Carpenter's first studio picture. And it was the first film he made that didn't have an indie type budget and he ended up going over budget. Um, but you can really tell, you know, you think about movies he did before where there was more suggestion mm-hmm. of what to be afraid of. Yes, so Matt, you I, thought. Yeah, I do have a thought. Well, it's actually just a question for you. Okay. I don't I'm not super familiar with John Carpenter's career. So what what things did he do before this that were like indie type things? Halloween and the uh, Fog, Escape from New York. Um which Escape okay. from New York is a little bit of a different vibe. But yeah, man, Halloween yeah. So in that, the the fear is all suggestion of the shape. You know, there's some violence, but you go back and look at that as one of the first slasher movies. And there's not really a lot of like in your face violence. And then you go to the thing where he has a bigger budget. And sometimes in horror, the horror is in what you mm-hmm. don't see. And I would say that that is the case in the Blair Witch Project. And see here, I'm just riffing. I'm just going off the cuff here, making these connections. But in the thing, the horror is absolutely in what you do see. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I was really stunned uh, how much is on screen here. Right? Mm-hmm. We watched. Uh, well, I watched Jaws uh, not mm. too long ago yeah. for the for the fourth, and you know that's sort of the classic like what you don't see type mm-hmm. of movie. Absolutely. Um, and this this one, it's all out there, and it's super creepy. Like, it mm-hmm. absolutely pays off. Like, God bless Rob Button, because holy cow, is this stuff creepy and terrifying. And and when in doubt, if, you're, if your puppet isn't creepy enough, make it wet. That appears Break to be the, the, KY one, jelly, the man, one real that lesson. Will, uh... Buckets and of just, KY mm-hmm. jelly. Uh, now, I will say, <laughs> yes. though, that this had, uh, there was another aspect of it that makes it effective. Like, it's not just the monster. It's the fact that the monster might already be you. 
right? It's that it, there's a psychological thriller aspect of this story that really pushes it beyond just being a monster movie. Because if it was just a monster movie, you, you could maybe take it or leave it, some of the special effects. Um, you know, like the, a lot of the, uh, I don't know, towards the end, the stop motion effects, you know. Some of the yeah, stop motions a those, little, right? little clunky. But, um, but yeah. the psychological aspect of it is what really, to me, makes this a superlative movie. It's the idea that you're trying to figure out, it's the mystery, it's how do you tell if a perfect imitation is an imitation. That's the core of this movie. Yeah. And, uh, and if, you, if you fail, the world dies. And uh, I think that's, yeah. that's really spectacular. Yeah, it's got stakes. It's got, uh, yeah, tension, like mental or emotional tension. That And it's not big on jump scares in this movie, but that jump scare in the blood test sequence... Oh my God! I lost yeah. it a little. One bit. of the best of all time. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It's it's because everybody's so like casual, and they set it up with just a few like normal blood tests, and then of course it's followed up with, and there's two guys tied to the couch with. They really didn't think this right. through. Exactly. Right? What if they were? Yeah. What if they were? What happens? Yeah. If, so they're and they're. The, yeah. One of the guys who ends up being uh, a thing, I guess one of the first things, the guy who has the heart attack. And that's an interesting thing. The thing ate a guy who had a bad heart. And so the thing also has a bad heart. Oh, I didn't even pick yeah. up on that, but that's so true. And then yeah. it forces it that's to so like creepy. transform into something else. <laughs> and uh, and it's it's such a good... Like there's so many layers to this whole thing, and a lot of that stuff I didn't pick up until repeated viewings. But I've probably seen this movie, ugh, maybe ten times. Um, I definitely watched it twice oh, really? this week. I was, I was good. Oh good. yeah. Well, I wanted to make sure I was ready for Ariel. Yeah, you know? <laughs> ready for Ariel. Uh, Ariel. So, um, what else? Uh, what else strikes you about this? Uh, about it? I just, uh, I want to hear your thoughts. Yeah. It's not often we have a guest. Absolutely. Yeah, I know. Um, and thank you, you know, I, it, I, I want to acknowledge that you brought on a woman to talk about this movie. This is a very male mm-hmm. movie. It's oh, so extremely, male. It's an extremely yeah. masculine movie. And I think that's an important aspect of it. Um, I think that's on hmm. purpose. So, you know, the only female voice you get in the movie is the chess wizard, which gets called a cheating bitch and then killed quite swiftly. Voiced by Adrian Barbeau, who was John Carpenter's wife at wow. the time. Oh, wow. <laughs> they divorced a couple of years later. I'm not saying there's a connection, but there's not, not a connection. There was one woman on the production crew who was pregnant, and like the conditions were just too awful in the snow for her to stay, so she ended up having to leave. So then the production was like all male. So we are talking top to bottom this movie is is very male and very masculine and i think that's important it's about i see it as it's about like breakdown of trust and communication amongst males and it's also like in a situation where several of them are trying to take on a leadership role they're all in a work situation it's not like you're there with your best buds but it's also this crazy work situation that most of us won't ever find ourselves in where you know you're living in tight quarters with everybody and so i think had this been 
a group of all women or a group of mixed genders. Like it could have been, I'm not saying it would have been better or worse or anything, but it could have been very different. But I think the fact that these are men dealing with men is really important to the way the story goes. Hmm. Yeah. I wonder if there's something else that's about, uh, you know, speaking of that all male fear, there is a, uh, a fear of, like you said, losing control, but also of being penetrated you know, of having something inside yep, you absolutely. that is, uh, that, you know, uh, that maybe would be different coming or having a female point of view. Um, now, Ariel, you, now, Matt, you probably haven't seen the prequel to the thing that came out probably 12 years ago. I haven't you yet haven't either. either. I'm saving it for this oh, Okay, because there's a female lead in that, and I'd be curious to see how you, uh, how you feel about that. Um, basically, they go, and it, it's a movie about the Norwegians, that they that are, are all dead and so... oh that makes sense Does it? yes yeah. yeah there's a whole story there that we haven't yeah, told but we already know what we already know the outcome of it i guess i don't know uh, i i saw it once yeah, and wasn't the dog impressed. gets away so do lower your expectations if oh, you see okay. it uh but uh, i think that oh. that might be an interesting i'm just excited to have ariel back this winter yeah. that's all <laughs> i mean <laughs> whatever you guys want uh, i don't know if we're going to watch the uh, the the prequel episode um <laughs> But uh, I, I, it's interesting to there, there's moments where uh, like there's so much that they're thinking about like 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 there's one guy at one point the Wilford Brimley character is kind of the only one who knows what's going on, and so yes. he starts taking instead of talking about it because who can you trust? Yeah. Because who can you trust? He takes it upon himself. Seventy five percent chance that somebody's already right. infected. Yeah, and so he takes it yeah. upon himself to uh, to destroy like the equipment and the and the transportation and the helicopter so that these people can't get off or yeah. communicate for help off of the uh, uh, off of the continent and get help. So uh, in, in order to kind of hopefully contain the alien within um, within Antarctica at least. And but it's interesting because mm-hmm. from other people's perspective from the not Wilford Brimley perspective, he's a crazy loon and must be, and must be stopped. And because of that, they put him away and actually put him in harm's way to become then an alien himself. Yeah. How did he get infected? I, I, I couldn't figure that out. Um, I'm not sure. I think some alien, some, some, thing just got to him uh, that's true it only takes like a couple of cells yeah or something, which said. is a whole other thing too i worry about because they're 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 in there in with the, in the bloody thing like like they, they bring this thing into the lab and are digging around in it with with latex gloves uh, um mm-hmm. yeah. and at one point he doesn't even have gloves on and i'm like mm, there's there yeah. there's your infection right well this there. is this is this is pre the AIDS epidemic too. So. Well, almost. It's right. Yeah, the AIDS epidemic was yeah, going on. Yeah, it started on. in like 1980. Yeah. So there was a lot of, um, you know, public AIDS panic going on when this movie came out, and those parallels have definitely been drawn. Although John Carpenter says that wasn't the intention. Yeah, and I don't think it needs okay. to be. Uh, I, I think that that can be there. You can have a, a, a situation of like convergent evolution of ideas um, Absolutely. And without having to have it be an intentional thing. But uh, it is a scary thing to like, we just went through a pandemic where you can't control a thing you can't see. Right. 
And mm-hmm. so I think that's, that's part of yeah. what makes this so scary. Uh, the, I do want to say, and Matt, you can probably speak to this too, the uh, score by Ennio Marconi is uh, mm-hmm. really yeah. effective uh, on this. Yeah, no, it's fantastic. It's super 80s, but uh, I, I really dig it. I, I love Ennio Mar- Marconi, and it's, yeah, I... I I think we've talked before about how I don't usually have a lot to say about scores unless they're really getting in the way, and this one absolutely does not. It really builds tension nicely and everything. The one, So I'm going to give you another one of mm-hmm. my reads about this movie right now. For an Antarctic research station, there is a stunning number of flamethrowers around. Just really a lot of flamethrowers. A lot of fuel, a lot of flamethrowers. Uh, you know, I would think the number of flamethrowers that if I was packing for a trip to the Antarctic, I would pack no more than one flamethrower. Huh. Well, I mean, well, but if every guy brings one, <laughs> well, doesn't that then true. mean there are twelve? Right. And how <laughs> else are you gonna how really else are you gonna thaw point. off thaw yeah. out your uh, your your snowcat? You know, <laughs> and your breakfast. Yeah. It's a BYOF situation, Matt. You bring your own. <laughs> I mean, you guys are joking, <laughs> but, but I, I feel like I would probably want some. I, Ability to make fire uh, if I'm going. I retract my earlier remarks. Yeah. It's interesting that this is like kind of towards the beginning of their time in Antarctica, supposedly, because, uh, you know, psychologically you'd think, hey, maybe we want these people already kind of strung out and on the edge. But, um, you know, they're 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 mostly in good mental health before people start turning into tentacles. Yeah, yeah. and I think that's uh, I mean that story wise is much more effective to have a, a bigger arc, uh, right? You know, you, 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 it's it's everything's normal until you get one little thing that goes that goes wrong, and it just completely obliterates any semblance of society, which I think is fantastic. Right, <laughs> like it's more extreme to see. Um, Wilford Brimley go bananas and smash everything up when he was okay. Right. Which Donald Pleasance was considered for that role, and that would have been a lot of fun, I think. Wasn't he in uh, Mm -hmm. Body Snatchers? Or am I thinking someone else? Uh, That's Donald Sutherland. You're right. Okay. Yeah. But still, good good actors all around. Interesting. Um, They wrote a... John Carpenter told... um, Kurt Russell, that McCready had this backstory that was never going to be on screen, that McCready was a Vietnam vet. And so now that I know that, I can kind of like see that or like feel that coming out of McCready. But Mm -hmm. they specifically didn't want to have to say it on screen because it wasn't going to be something that would have come up organically necessarily in conversation. But John Carpenter wanted that sort of energy to McCready. Sure kind of mm-hmm. he's like when you first see him he's drinking scotch in the middle of the day wrecking his favorite toy like he's maybe not okay at the start of this but he's tamping it and down he's got his own good. shack like away yeah. from everybody else yes that's interesting yeah yeah i mean he's a really interesting character yeah, yeah he's like he's off separated from everyone else and yeah he does kind of have those you know well and frankly he's a helicopter pilot in 1982 i mean that you know most of those guys are probably going to have some military mm-hmm. experience at that, yeah. you know, at that time. Yeah. So, and and I, and I like yeah, that he wasn't a... uh, he wasn't like like scarred from the war, like had all this angst and stuff like that. Yes. My my uncle is actually or was a uh, the most decorated helicopter pilot in Vietnam, and uh, he came home and survived the war and started a family and all that. Um, 
and uh, so by all accounts was fairly okay until he I, I never met him he actually got killed by a drunk driver after he survived the war and got back to, yeah my it was oh my god that's wow terrible. they're making a documentary about him so um they're working on oh, that right, wow. right now um but yeah man i i, I loved uh, kurt russell's fun to watch and mcgreedy was a fun character yes um yeah. well yeah. uh he makes it seem so effortless you know mm-hmm. like he just he doesn't seem like he's trying at all but man he's just magnetic i mm-hmm. i love i mean I, so this is so dumb to uh two horror movie fans but i'm a huge fan of overboard oh, okay uh overboard and kurt great. russell yeah and like I you know I just remember watching that as a kid on TV and just absolutely loving it and it's just because he's fun to he watch. Is. He's, man. There's a reason he's a really movie is. star. Uh, absolutely. Uh, do you uh, have any other things you want to cover before we move into ratings? I have one question for both yeah. you guys. At the end of the movie, do you think Childs or McCready or neither of them are the thing? Hmm. Or both, I suppose. Uh, I'm, sure. I'm pretty sure that McReady is not the thing. Um, and I want to... I want to believe... I want to believe that they're not. I want to believe yeah, that they're I'm, not. I understand why they're skeptical of each other, but... Right. Oh I think it's better That's if they're tough, not. That's <laughs> like Yeah. Story-wise? I think it's better if they're not, but neither of them can trust the other at all there is a comic book uh and and maybe also a video game that was a direct sequel but the comic book picks up exactly where this left off and i cannot remember what happened uh i read it when it came out but um but it came out like i don't know in the late 90s um and i can't remember what exactly happens i think they get rescued by some sort of a military team uh, and uh, the, the like marines or something and i think childs ends up being infected so yeah. if it if it builds off the alternate ending that was shot to this movie where McCready survives, then I don't know in the comic book if Childs um, was the thing or not. But there's an alternate ending shot where McCready gets rescued and is alive and not the thing. But Childs is not. Is so it might have been be building on that. I think yeah, he's dead, maybe. Oh, where they might have found him, like in the explosion or something like that. Yeah, it makes some sense, and um, yeah. it, but it also mm-hmm. I do like that they resolve that a bit. There, there aren't a lot of loose ends mm-hmm. in this movie. You know, there aren't a lot of things where you're like, oh, I'm very unsatisfied by up. this thing that they never answered. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That also, so in addition to a lot of flamethrowers, there are also a lot of just straight up explosives uh, in this research facility. It's really very is that impressive. Busting through the ice, though, like part of what they're doing is digging through like ancient ice, mm-hmm. right? So yeah, but I think I think you usually just core it, right? I don't. I mean, well, I don't. I, know. You're the scientist, Matt. You better tell me because I'd be okay. out there with a flamethrower. They definitely core it. And, uh, yeah. Is it they, like ice fishing where you have an auger? It's like, yeah, it's like an auger. But is this, yeah, uh, I mean, good. maybe were things different back then? Like, this is the old days when they just blew also, stuff up? Also, um, the guy who's, uh, uh, the fire suit, the guy who's, uh, a flame and he just busts through the wall, which is clearly just like one sheet of drywall. I love that. I love the idea that you've got this, uh, research facility where it's like negative 
50 <laughs> degrees out and there's just like one sheet of drywall between you and the outdoors like that's 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 very yeah, well it's 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 high tech it's nasa you know nasa designed yes yeah, it's, it's nasa it's nasa yeah, drywall. Yeah, yeah. this is gonna keep you it's good like it's space age polymers matt so they they built that set in the spring let it snow all over it so that the snow was naturally you know built up on there filmed most of the movie blew it up at the end and then filmed the norwegian part it's all the same oh. set it's just they used the blown up one at the end to be like oh the norwegians are here very smart speaking of fire though going back to uh, matt's uh, flamethrower uh, criticism i don't think they burned things enough I would agree with that. They burn things a lot, but, you know, for something that supposedly can regenerate from a few yep. cells, I think there needs to be more intense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I would yeah. agree with and that. And I think with an explosion, you risk having blowing the thing all over the place. <laughs> yep, I agree. These guys have not slept for, like, 48 yeah. hours. And they're t- they're, ner- they're like nerves are fried so i think they're not always necessarily making the best choices they're just brute forcing their way yeah. through it to the and end I, and i do i did um, think I, I have thought about this uh probably too much but i do think that like if you the reason they dug up the alien that was crawling out of the spaceship was because uh it was a thing it was a it was a it was a physical big body right but if you're mm-hmm. if you're going around investigating this uh this you know lost antarctic you know base you're not going to dig up every little piece of flesh that you see to analyze it so it, it might be frozen <laughs> forever in the snow of mm-hmm. the antarctic and so therefore we still might be safe uh all right well uh let's move on to some uh, rates rates this bad boy Ratings. Well, uh, let's see. As the newbie here, I get to rate it first. I uh, this is a very, very highly rated movie for me. I am I'm debating between a nine and a ten. Uh, it's uh, there are maybe just a few issues that make it feel like not a ten to me. Like, but well like some of the stuff is you know why do they have so many explosives around and why do they have so many flamethrowers and and this dog seems very happy for being shot at and you know and plus i just don't like a movie where a dog is shot on screen even though it's like a puppet or whatever it is like it's it's pretty rough okay. for me so i i'm i'm going to say this is a great movie that is also a nine i'm sorry if i talked you down to a nine uh by by (laughs) by by asking you to elucidate your uh your your criticisms uh this is a 10 for me easy this is a it for me it's one of my favorite horror movies it holds up some 40 years later and uh i think that's really incredible um so ariel how about you 10 out of 10 (laughs) flamethrowers so many flamethrowers this is one hot movie uh, I do, yeah. Uh, the, yeah. I do. Not only is it uh, not only is it a ten for me, but it's just it, it is something I, I show to every boyfriend who hasn't you know who comes along. Uh, it was Matthew, my last boyfriend. It was one of his favorite movies, so uh, that we already had that in common. But um, yeah, Aww. yeah. 
Ariel, it's been lovely talking to you about John Carpenter's The Thing. I really appreciated your your expertise and your help. Thank you so much for coming on, and uh, thank you for letting us expose ourselves to you. Yes, thanks so much for having me, guys. It was a blast. Anytime you want to chat horror movies, literally just anytime. I wasn't sure that Matt awesome. was going to be open to uh, liking a horror movie, so now that I know he is... Uh, we might be able to explore this a little more often. But before I let you go, one question, Ariel. Uh, do you, when you talk yes. about this movie to other people, do you call it John Carpenter's The Thing, or do you just say The Thing? I usually just say The Thing. Yeah, me too. Um, unless I'm talking to another horror fan who I think is going to call me out about it, then I might say John Carpenter's The Thing. But to most people, The Thing is 1982 John Carpenter. Yeah, so. yeah. and it's the, it's the thing in uh, on, on Wikipedia... It's the thing, 1982 yeah. film. You know, it's not yeah. called John Carpenter. So. I don't know. I don't. And even on the poster, is it called John Carpenter? Oh, I guess it is. I'm looking at it right now. <laughs> Still, though, it's like calm down, everybody. Well, yes, exactly. Well, let's see if uh, uh, we can get Matt into some more horror movies as we go. I'm not honestly a a huge horror movie, so very few of my favorite films will be on that list. Uh, um, so we'll see what comes down the pike yeah if you ever want to do like a spooky season special or something i would love to know. see what your favorites are if you want to send those to me and make some recommendations for things that we should watch on the show uh by emailing us at uh exposing ourselves podcast at gmail.com or going to our facebook page uh and commenting on one of our posts i might just do exactly that hey ariel how can people find you on socials? Yeah, you can find me on all the socials at Ari underscore Hellraiser. Um, Instagram, Twitter, Letterboxd, Blue Sky. I think that's all of them. Who knows where we're going to land? That's great. Find me there. And that's a great, that's a great tag, a great handle, too. Uh, we, I had him watch Hellraiser and, uh, as one of our first movies. Yeah. It's so good. I can't. Yeah, mm -hmm. I won't do that to us here at the end. I won't derail us. But Hellraiser is a damn perfect film about a woman who just wants to get laid. Yep. Right? Yep. I I did in fact like it. So if you haven't listened back to that, it was it was a good one. I'll so. go listen to that one. All right, Travis. Well, we're alone now. I think we're alone I now. I think we're alone now. Yes. Doesn't seem to be. And you Ariel and <laughs> Ariel. 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 I know. I know. So, uh, but you got to listen to the magnetic fields, which means I got to listen to the magnetic fields. I gave you a playlist off of an album called 69 Love Songs. Is it a dumb joke? Yes, it is. Is it also an incredible musical achievement? Yes, it is. The Magnetic Fields in 1999 released an album, three discs, 23 songs per disc, every single one of them is a love song. This is a very impressive achievement. Uh, the Magnetic Fields are a band that are primarily the brainchild of a, a singer-songwriter named Stephen Merritt. He's known early on in the Magnetic Fields career for using a lot of synthesizers. They went through a phase where they didn't use any synthesizers at all, but this is still in synthesizer phase. It's got ukulele. It's got uh, he's got a very impressive baritone, which is a little bit unusual for most uh, most modern music. Most uh, singers these days that become popular are tenors, but he's got a uh -huh. really nice baritone and a decent range. Travis, I love this music because 
he is so clever. I love the the wordplay that he goes through and the variety of music that's on here. Is everything super successful? Not always, but man, does he go out on some limbs and stick some landings. Uh, so this playlist is, I think, 12-ish songs out of the 69. I will say, personally, I like about 55 of them, which is a very, very high hit wow. rate. Wow, There is that a is. very, very high hit rate, but there, there are some dogs in there for sure. Um, so, so we are only listening to a, a small portion of we're miss- the uh, 69 yeah. songs. Okay. Yeah. Uh, yeah, I didn't want to give you the whole thing. So what did you think, Interesting. Travis? Well, I, Matt, I agree with just about everything you said on that. Uh, I will say that when I started listening to this, so I've listened to this a couple of times now, and I think that when I first put it on, I maybe listened to the wrong song first. Like, I didn't start with Absolutely Cuckoo, which is the first song on the playlist. Sure. I think I might have started with something uh, further along. Like, I don't know what happened. Like, I might have accidentally hit shuffle or might have pushed the wrong button or whatever. And the song that I played starts very energetically, and there's there's some good energy to it. And I think that a number of these songs had some really good energy and some uh, and i and i did appreciate the musicality of them mm-hmm. and it, these songs check a lot of my boxes mm-hmm. uh as far as being able to understand the lyrics having a good mix of uh of 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 song versus um uh versus music and and and, and you're right the lyrics are uh interesting and clever sometimes a little simplistic but mostly pretty good uh i i feel like a, i feel like maybe there's a couple of them that could have stood for like one more pass you know one more edit sure um or you know have a friend look at it and give you some feedback but if you're if you're trying to write 69 love songs if that's the goal which honestly <laughs> that, that whole thing completely went over my head i didn't even <laughs> i wasn't even aware although i i did i did remember thinking while I was listening to, boy, this is a lot of songs about about love and uh, and you know relationships. But I think my brain was like, yeah, aren't most songs about love and relationships? <laughs> um, so uh, so yeah, I I I'll give you all of that. Um, I the guy's vo- i i would not call this guy a baritone or at least he doesn't usually exist in the baritone range most of his singing is in a bass range uh it's very low it's i'm gonna sing a song and i don't you don't need to know what it's about because i'm gonna be singing <laughs> way down here and i'm like it, it reminds me a lot of uh johnny cash who i don't like and um <gasps> oh my god yeah. Oh God! Yeah, no. Oh God! I do a burning of fire. I'm like, no, I, I don't like. I just don't. I don't know. And in this case, it numbed my brain, and so that you know, this whole problem that we have. I don't know how much of this you're leaving in about how I messed up which album we were listening to. I had listened to this album, this playlist. But had forgotten it because I think it numbed my brain. And I had a similar experience when I was listening to it again. Um, I just, I, 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 it was hard for me to appreciate his, the way he sings. And it's because I think the way he sings sounds so 
dour. Um, I don't know if the word sonorous is the right use right now, but that's the thing that kept on popping into my head where Define it was like um... sonorous, <laughs> imposingly Congrats. deep and full. Wow, Travis. There nice you go. So word. yes, that is the word that popped into my head and uh, imposingly deep and full is the absolute perfect way to describe this guy's singing now you know when you were doing your album and uh there's a couple of uh there's a couple of songs where you put your wife in to sing and i was like immediately i was much more into your music yeah. when that happened yeah the same thing happens here mm-hmm. there's a couple of songs toward the end where uh and i don't remember um uh, which song is it crazy for you but not that crazy or or uh um, no uh kiss me like you mean it has a woman papa uh was that was a, a good one although it was very short and i yeah. wish th- Kiss Me Like You Mean It is a really good song, and it's got a great hook. It's only two minutes long. It needed to. They needed to build out. It's like when you, it's like when I write a sketch, and it's like, wouldn't it be funny if a guy had to go to the doctor to get his finger cut off? Uh, and it, but it's his pointy finger, so he doesn't want to get it cut off. But I don't do anything else with it. Travis, I gotta say, like when it comes to like. song length, you have very, very specific requirements. You really do. I. It's well, you know, um. um Two minutes is too short. Like three to five minutes is probably a good sweet spot, and more if you if you have a really good song. But like you know, um, make it make it make it make it a, a nice meal, um, and not just a snack, but also not like a banquet. You know, nobody wants a banquet that's gonna fill you up too much. Anyway, um, I was really into, and I here's what I actually was thinking whilst I was listening to this music is that I would have loved to hear your wife sing these songs Mm -hmm. like if you could cut out this guy's voice and just do the instrumentals as is which were delightful and have a a, a, some female with a beautiful voice singing these same songs i think i would have loved them even more now i didn't dislike them oh by any stretch okay uh i disliked him singing them (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> so Stephen Merritt is kind of an interesting character. I don't know if you picked up on this. Because there's such a wide range of songs, he's writing about so many different situations. Some of these are humorous. Some of them are serious. Some of them combine the yeah. two. Um, Stephen Merritt is gay. Uh, I was wondering there, about that because there is a song in there uh, that Where he talks says, about how he's going to make yeah. his boyfriend his wife. Yeah. Right. <laughs> So I was yeah. kind of curious. I was like, I was like, well, that's that's a weird turn of phrase, um, yeah. To like to to say, have the boy be my wife. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you know, yeah. So yeah. okay, great. Well, and there, he does a lot of that uh, same type of reversal that Melissa Etheridge used to do. Where so when, before Melissa Etheridge came out, she always talked about uh, she would reverse the uh, point of view of the song, so it would be like, oh, don't. You know, don't run around with other women, right? And when you say something like that, that is inherently like neutral when it comes to the gender of the person that's doing the picking, right? It could be that you're singing to a man saying don't run around with other women. It could be you're talking to a woman saying don't run around with other women. And he does that sort of rhetorical trick a lot on here. You know, he's uh the the song that I'm thinking of is the luckiest boy on the Lower East Side or luckiest guy on the Lower East Side is a great great uh, sort of um, 
it doesn't define it, right? It's just, you know, you, uh, I'm the luckiest guy on the Lower East Side because you want to go for a ride. And there's all these other guys that you could be interested in, but you're interested in me. And the gender of the person that wants to go for a ride is never defined. And so it could be a boy, it could be a girl. Uh, Isn't and, it? And he uses that rhetorical trick a lot. Yeah. Interesting. I, I guess, you know, I do. Uh, that was one of the songs where I did appreciate the lyrics. Although, uh, I, you know, again, it was one of those where I was like, ah, I wish they'd done like one more pass on these lyrics just to just to clean them up the, a little bit. But yes, very, uh, very clever. And uh, I liked the rhyming scheme. But because, oh, yeah, it's not she wants to go for a ride. It's you want to go for a ride. Yeah. That's very interesting. I didn't uh, I didn't peg that, and I think maybe I would have thought more about that if it had come after. Um, yeah, when well, my you know when my boy walks down the street. Yeah, so, it's um, very it's just a very subtle thing, um, and it's not you know it's not like super duper out there, uh, and and because he's inhabiting different stories, right? Not all of the characters are gay, right? So the last song is my favorite. It's called "Papa Was a Rodeo." And that the way that is set up, it appears to be a gay relationship for most of the song. And it's not until the woman comes in on the fourth verse that you mm. realize or sorry, the fourth chorus that you realize that this is actually a heterosexual relationship. Interesting. Yeah. And she was refreshing. When right. She did come in. <laughs> oh, God. I Travis, every single time I listen to that song, I just get chills. This yeah. album is great. Uh, I think it's. It's flawed uh, because there's a significant number of songs that are like, okay, we got to get up to 69, right? But that song to me is one of my favorite songs of all time. Papa was a rodeo. Just the the economy of storytelling, the sort of subtle shifts in your perspective as you go through the song. It's a beautiful story. It's like got a wide sweep to it and it's pretty. Right. Yeah. And then there it yeah. is at the end and it just kind of kicks you in the gut. It's so good. Yeah. And, and yeah, these these songs are um, are very well crafted. I, I will absolutely give you that. And uh, not only just uh, writing wise, but the uh, the music is uh, is good. The uh, the the the, you know, the well, the the, the structure, the things that aren't the voice, the things yeah. that aren't the, you know, the singing, yeah. the yeah. Instruments. Instrumental. Yeah. Yeah. It might be a little heavy on the ukulele for your taste. I don't know. No, no, no. Yeah. You know yeah. what? It was one of those things where I almost I almost pegged you for uh, for um, uh, for what's the what's the word? Uh, not catering to me. Uh, <laughs> uh, no, catering. Like, to you. I like pandering. pandering. I almost pegged you. you for pandering to me for including the uh, including the ukulele. Yeah. So. Uh, but no, it was, I, I appreciate a little, a little ukulele, as I've previously established. Uh, so right. yeah, absolutely won't hold it against Well, that. I'm almost ready to rate, but I did want to call out one song here specifically. Uh, did you recognize the song Grand Canyon? Uh, yeah, well, I did recognize, the, I was going to ask you, that was going to be the question I was going to ask you right now, is that are any yeah. of these covers or have they been covered by someone else? Because one of them at least was very familiar. Yes, it was familiar because it was covered by Panko Stankhole on their debut album, Outhouse. Oh, is yeah. that why I recognized it? Yes. Okay, interesting. I, yeah, I, I did Grand Canyon on Outhouse, and I love it. And I paid, you know, enjoy your $3, Stephen Merritt. I paid my mechanical royalties uh, oh, nice. to, to get the rights to the song. 
so well, now yeah. I have to listen to them uh, back to back. Oh yeah, well. Uh, I listen to them back to back occasionally, and I do prefer the magnetic fields version. <laughs> yeah, that's fair. That's fair. That's fair. But uh, well, um, yeah. do you want me to rate first? Uh, yeah, you, or are you. I'm not going to give it a bad rating. New it's guy not, always it, gets to rate. Okay, I'll 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 be honest. This is not something I'd probably listen to again just because of his voice. I just didn't like his voice. But I will give the album as a uh, or the playlist at least as a whole a. Um, uh, probably a solid six from me. It's okay. it's good. I am glad to have been exposed to it, um, <laughs> but it's probably not my thing in the long term. All right. Um, well, I feel a little silly because I've been giving out tens left and right lately on the things that I've given you. I guess this is the function of me, uh, you know, getting more comfortable with the podcast and getting more comfortable with presenting you stuff that I really, really love. But I, I got to give this a 10 as well, man. That's great. I can, you know, and I, I like that I'm giving, getting a really good idea of what your tastes are. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think it's clear that our, our musical tastes are not the same, which I mm-hmm. think is fine. And I think we've known that since college. Uh, <laughs> you know, um, when I was listening to a lot of uh, Madonna and, uh, and, and, uh, Michael Jackson and still do uh, mm-hmm. and you were introducing me to the likes of the Cranberries and the and the um, those kind of people yeah so. for sure for sure well that was a lovely lovely chat about the music what do you have for me next week Travis oh you know what so I've been thinking about this and uh, I have a movie that I have wanted to see again I remember liking it a lot when I first saw it uh, it is an interesting evolution of a filmmaker that I really appreciate it. Uh, and um, that filmmaker is Edgar Wright. And he was known for doing um, uh, Hot Fuzz and uh, uh, yeah. Shaun of the Dead, famously. And he did another in kind of that trilogy uh, called um, End of the World, which I didn't love so much. It was like an alien invasion movie. Um, but it was, he has a style that is so deliberate and specific. It's it's mm-hmm. like, you know how you see a movie and you know it's a Wes Anderson movie? Maybe you sure. don't. Yeah, no, I do. He's yeah, one yeah. of those directors that has a style, and it's uh, eclectic. And so uh, I want you to watch uh, Baby Driver, which is kind of his oh. take on, uh, on a car chase action movie. And uh, I uh, I really liked it when it came out. It um, uh, stars uh, Ansel Elgort, that's his name. Uh, oh. But John Barenthal's in it. John Hamm's in it. But it also has an appearance by uh, Kevin Spacey. Not just an appearance. I think he's the villain, if I remember correctly. And uh, but it's a it's a fun it's a fun movie. It really it they, it inter it intersects action and chase driving chase scenes with music. And it times everything so well, and I just want you to pay attention to the to the filmmaking and the cuts and the editing and those kind of things where every choice is very specific. It's not a movie that was made in the edit; the edits were made in the filming, and uh, and I think mm-hmm. that that's going to be interesting. I only saw it once, so I'm not super familiar, but I really am interested to um, to revisit it. It came out in 2017, and uh, yeah, so it's a few years old. Awesome. Well, Travis, we're getting heavy this week. Heavy, heavy, Uh-oh. heavy, heavy. We're going to give you the band Muse. Are you familiar with Muse? 
No, but I did. Uh, I did create a web series called The Musecast. Oh, that's right, you did. Yeah. Well, this is, and this would have been uh, around the same time. Uh, so, Muse, two thousand seven. Yeah, Muse came up in the mid two thousands. Uh, they are a fascinating band. They're one of these bands that I, I'm always curious about. These bands that come out with their first album and they feel like they made the music to be played in a giant arena, right? Oh. Because how do you how do you do that, right? You're like you're playing around with your friends or whatever, right? And you're pretty young, you know, in your early 20s and but somehow you're making this music that's meant to be played in arenas even though you're playing a club with, you know, 300 people in it or whatever, right? Uh, I feel like there's just this like reach uh there, this sort of uncontainable self-confidence about creating that kind of music, right? Because you're you're basically saying to the world, I mean, this is fine for now, but really what I want to do is play the stadiums, you know? Wow. And uh, it's funny because I don't have the, I don't have the context to, um, to put that into, like, I don't know what to think about this, what you're saying. Yeah, I'm interested. Well, we'll to talk out. about it. We'll talk about it next week. So this is um, it's it's pretty it's pretty heavy adja- uh, heavy adjacent. I would say it's pretty bassy. You might want to try to listen to this on a speaker uh, at least after your initial listening. If you find that you don't like it on the earphones, which I've noticed for some bass heavy music, you don't like listening to it on the pods. Just give it a just mm-hmm. give it a, a listen, maybe through your computer speakers, and see if if. It's not a little more manageable that way. Um, okay. But, yeah, it's uh, it's generally fast-paced. Some of it's pretty epic. There's a song called Knights of Sidonia that ha- had a little bit of a Bohemian Rhapsody moment. Um, mm. I think I think you'll find this interesting if you, even if you don't necessarily like it. But you might like it. I just don't know. Uh, okay. <laughs> it's possible <laughs> I'll like it, uh, but I look forward to finding it interesting at least. <laughs> yeah. For sure, for sure. All right, Travis. Well, thank you for exposing yourself to me on this very special episode. Oh, thanks for exposing yourself to me, Matt. I appreciate it. Cool. All right, I'll see you next week. This wasn't our very special episode, though. Well, it was also very special because we had uh, we had a visitor. It was. It was. It was. It was extra special. Oh, an extra. I'm sorry, guys. It's an extra special episode. Hey, write us an email at exposingourselvespodcast at gmail.com. Check us out on Facebook, Exposing Ourselves. Do all the fun things. I'm doing all the fun things because I knew you were going to yell at me if I didn't. And uh, interact with us and please rate us on the service that you listen to our podcast on. Travis, I will see you next week. (laughs) Goodbye.